Welcome to the In The Box Tour. We're here to blend the worlds of CrossFit and PT, so we're going from gym to gym and talking all things CrossFit. I'm Dr. Mesa Hanali. And I'm Hannah Briel, and today we're here with Palmetto State's strongest man under 181 pounds, Dr. Nathan Jones, oh, everybody. Hello. <laughs> so Welcome. Happy to have you here. Wait, aren't there some other credentials? Oh, yeah, so he also oh. holds the deadlift record in... South Carolina, under 181 pounds, and the log press record in South Carolina, <laughs> also under 181 pounds. So I'm honored to be in your presence Yeah, today. you should be. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, apparently. Wow. Okay. When you say it all out, out loud like that. Yeah, you yeah. should put that in your office. Probably. Like some certificates. On your resume, it's like, yeah. doctor of physical therapy, <laughs> yeah. log record until under someone, 181. Someone, until someone like actually strong shows up to the competitions. And the funny part is you're wearing the Palmetto State Strongest Man shirt right now. <laughs> It's like you were asking for it. Perfect. So, very first question of the day. Mm. I know that you're a strongman competitor, but mm. you also happen to be a CrossFitter. Yes. So, following along our theme, why CrossFit? So, I was competing in strongman um, and, like, kind of, like, self-trained. I, I built up a lot of really good static strength, so I was very, very strong with, like, deadlift and squat and, like, strict overhead press and stuff like that, but I didn't move well. Like, my push press was holding the bar off of my shoulders and, you know, like, how you see people push press for the first time kind of thing. Um, so did a few strongman competitions in North Carolina. And um, this guy, Jonathan Armada, he's not going to listen to this, so it doesn't matter. But he we are going to tag him on yeah, Instagram and make him listen to this. <laughs> yeah. He owns a CrossFit gym up in uh, Raleigh, Morrisville Community CrossFit, and he just beat me like over and over and over and over. And like we, there was this, this last competition we did, it was a strongman competition, and the next day it was a super total. So um, snatch, clean and jerk strict overhead press, squat, and deadlift. Oh, my and gosh. Like, it was awesome. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's like, awful. Did this is really Nate's well. I know, yeah. I know. So, like, did really well on, like, the strict stuff, right? Like, a strict overhead press and all that. Like, I was statically a lot stronger than him at that point. And, but he beat me in the strongman competition the day before. And so, it was like, you know, he's he does CrossFit. Maybe I should kind of try this out. So, I walked into Iron Bridge and was like, hey, I keep getting beat by CrossFitters. So, I'll try I should probably it. try CrossFit. Yeah. When was um, that? 2016, 2015. Was like no, 2015. Years ago, like you weren't. Yeah, that like old. November 2015. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty recent. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's 2019. So, mm -hmm. so what do you do now to work out and get strong? So, <laughs> I was mostly doing CrossFit in the morning, and then like kind of my own strongman stuff at night, just to maintain that strength. I've been falling off the CrossFit wagon a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I did have that. a yeah, hmm. I have a competition coming up. Oh, really? Like, yeah. When? Yeah, June eighth. Where is it? So, uh, Atlanta. Are Shout you out. Be, uh, like the Peach State Strongest <laughs> Man? It's Georgia's Strongest Man. Probably oh, not. There's but you don't like, live in Georgia. No, but you can still just travel around. Oh. Yeah. There will probably be like actually strong people there, but probably not. You are actually strong. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about what a strongman competition looks like. So there's typically five events, somewhere between like four to six, usually five, and they consist of very short duration, either like picking up something heavy and moving it or a max lift. So like this last one um, was a little atypical, but it was a one rep max log press, so one rep max um, uh, deadlift, and a max weight farmer's carry for 30 feet. And usually there's two more, so it'd be like atlas stones, like these big concrete balls, or like pick up a sandbag and carry it 20 feet, and then pick up a keg and carry it 20 feet and put it over things. And it's usually 60 seconds or less, so not a whole lot of cardio. So like big um, anaerobic guy. Grunt yeah, work. like yeah, picking up like weirdly shaped things. They try and stay away from barbells, so mm -hmm. like any kind of weird, uh, pushing cars, pulling trucks, stuff like, yeah. Do you ever have cars. to, like, do you do that? Uh-huh. Yeah, we did a garbage truck. It was, like, 42,000 pounds or something at one competition.
position. What do you mean we did? Like, what do you mean you did it? So they they strap you into a harness and they attach you to the truck and then you try and walk oh, forward with yeah. it. Yeah. And there's one they put a they drive a car up onto a uh, like a little deadlift platform with handles and then you deadlift the car. And, That's insane. Yeah, it's fun. Okay, Do you so know? Right. Is it like CrossFit where you like know the events usually a certain amount of time beforehand, or yeah, the vast majority of the time they tell you the events um, a few months out, so you can kind okay. of train specifically for them. Sometimes there's competitions with like they'll have one mystery event, so it's less less unknown than CrossFit. Got it. So back to CrossFit, do you mm-hmm. feel like that helped your training? I think it did. Um, so I did lose. I got sucked really hard into CrossFit. Like I started CrossFit, it's like I love CrossFit. I'm just gonna yes. CrossFit. And, Drink the Kool Aid. Kind of hard not to. Yeah, it turns out not good enough at CrossFit to like be competitive at it. But you're great at CrossFit. Thanks, Hannah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I got sucked into that for a bit. Lost some of my static strength, so it's kind of where I'm at right now. Is like rebuilding that high end strength, but I move much better now. Like mobility is better, and mm-hmm. I know how to like overhead press without looking like an idiot. And you know, everything's not a strict press now. Sweet. Um, so, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself before Strongman and CrossFit. So. Where'd you grow up? Born in the mountains of Colorado. Yeehaw. (laughs) Um, Lived in Colorado until I was 18. Um, At that point, I joined the Marine Corps, and I was an Arabic linguist in the Marine Corps. Um, So you, like, go to Monterey, California, and they teach you Arabic. It's pretty cool. Um, So cool. Yeah, it's all right. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Do you still speak Arabic? Some Arabic, yeah. It'd be... Can you, like, Different. give us a sentence, maybe? Is that a thing? <laughs> He's definitely not uh, going to do this Oh, we did. He tried. Yeah. There you go. More than I know. Uh, yeah. I can say I forgot how to speak Arabic in Arabic. Mm. So, yeah. I can understand a lot. Can you? Really? Yeah. I'm half Lebanese and grew up in Dubai. Yeah. So. Solid point. Yep. Yeah. Fair. Like, people have to talk slow, but I can kind of... Mm-hmm. Talk feel about English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> it's not really different. Um, got out of the Marine Corps, and the whole time, like, a Originally, like, I was 18 years old and wanted to be a bodybuilder, so I started, like, and I'd started lifting in high school a little bit, okay. but I ran cross-country in high school, cross-country and track. Um, so I, I like, cannot oh, imagine that because I know, you funny. now hate running oh, with yeah. a passion. <laughs> Anytime you see running, it. like, the workout, your face is just, like, ultimate doom. <laughs> <Yeah>. Really <laughs> yeah, running. this is my worst life. Um, <laughs> ran cross-country. Yeah, and so bodybuilding was all right. Didn't, probably wasn't disciplined enough to, like, you know, have low body fat. I like eating a lot. And so then I got more into power lifting, which is squat, bench press, deadlift. And that got boring because it's just three lifts. Mm-hmm. And then I found strongman was a thing. So I like bought a log. And then when I moved to Charleston to go to MUSC, um, I found a strongman gym and started doing that. When was that? That was 2016, 2013. I was about to say, you have been a long time. Yeah. So strongman was like the perfect amount of like strong and weird mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. 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 Wow. Got to have that weird. Exactly. So, yeah. Do you think any of that like influenced your decision to be a physical therapist? Yeah. So, so I was an exercise science undergrad after deciding, like, starting as a chemistry undergrad and being like, nope, this is like day one. I was like, no, I panicked and nah. dropped everything. And <laughs> Panic. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be an English teacher because my mom was, my sister is, um, and decided that was a terrible idea too. <laughs> and I was like, exercise science is a is a major. Yeah, I'm gonna you were on like a yeah. roller coaster of military, yeah. chemistry, yeah. English. Yeah, it really took me a while to figure out what I wanted to, to find do with yourself. my life. Yeah. Um, and then, I forgot what the question was. Oh yeah, so <laughs> I li- like exercise and then I'm really good at injuring myself. Um, you and me both. I think that's <laughs> yeah. why we're here. Yep. yep. And so at some point, I was like, if I'm going to keep hurting myself, I need to know how to fix myself. And then yeah, physical therapy is just kind of a natural extension of exercise science anyway. So. And then you know, like to fix others. Yeah. Like a lot of PTs, like that's how they start. They get injured and then they're like, oh, I like.
me mm. fixed. I like fixing other people. I like exercise. And then come PTs. Yep. So you went to MUSC mm-hmm. and you graduated in 2016. Mm-hmm. And what do you do now? Now I work at Made to Move Physical Therapy. Um, on Shout out. Island. Never met her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody's sure of that one. Huh. Weird. Um, Crossfitters, what? Yeah. Cash base, what? Yeah. What? Yeah, that's, that's what I do now. So your day-to-day life is lifting so, things and mm-hmm. treating patients? That's really that's really all I have in my life, honestly. <laughs> that sounds like pretty full It's enough. Though. It's enough. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a solid day. Yeah. Oh, treating honestly. patients and lifting heavy things. Yeah. The other day, really like, don't need more. I was on, you know, I'm on break right now. And so, mm-hmm. like, I woke up, like, went to the gym for a few hours, like, showered, had a big lunch, saw patient cares. And I was like, is this cash-based PT? Because I love it. <laughs> to sleep it's like this is yeah. so nice this is the best day ever yeah yeah all right so let's get into so we all know here that you're kind of a genius yeah, okay. and you're if kind you of Nate, you'll also know he's kind of a nerd kind of being the understatement of you the year a nerd a nerd yeah strongest <laughs> man and nerd so you're really into this whole new concept kind of new called pain science mm-hmm. so can you tell us a little <clears throat> bit about what in the world that is. Yeah, so pain science is kind of, so especially in physical therapy and even like personal training and just exercise in general, is probably a good idea to have an understanding of what pain is because it should color, there it is. Here we go. <laughs> it, should color, <laughs> it should color pretty much every treatment that everyone does, right? Because all pain is created by your brain. We'll kind of roll through that a little bit, but basically your, your brain is always trying to make sense of the world around it through like sensory inputs, like what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and like these alert signals that come from your body and all these other sensory kind of things. And then it puts those sensory things in the context of what's happening and the context of what it has happened in the past and what it expects to happen in the future, right? All so right, just pause for a second. Yeah, Let's okay. let that sink in. Yeah. Fast. I remember like being your student and you would uh, say that so many times and I was just like, take notes, Hannah, take notes. <laughs> what is he saying? I don't know. Yeah. All right. You can't continue. Okay. <laughs> and so there can be different factors that lead to more pain, right? So there's, um, if you have a acute injury, pain is a protective response. And so a lot of the time pain is well correlated with like something that has just happened or like an actual, like there's a knife stuck in your leg kind of injury, right? And so what happens is you get these alert signals coming from those tissues in the area called nociceptive signals. But no susceptible signals don't mean pain necessarily. All they're saying is like, we need to pay attention to this. Something weird is going on here. So later on, depending on like the context of the situation, other things going on, it can be interpreted as like tickling, as itching, as like a multitude of other, other stuff. They can just be ignored, right? So those no susceptible signals go up to your nervous system, kind of go through your spinal cord, go up to your brain. And then all that other sensory input kind of gets brought into that same area, right? And so everything else you're seeing and hearing and feeling all gets put in. And your brain takes a look at all of that and it takes all that sensory information and it tries to put it in the context of the situation as it understands it. So the past experiences, future expectations, current mood you're in, your stress level, all this stuff gets put together. And then your brain asks the question based on everything that is available to it, um, is there a threat to the tissues? And if it decides there is a threat to the tissues, then it's going to create the emotion of pain in order to make you deal with that threat. And so pain, all pain is an emotion produced by your brain in response to what it believes to be a threat to your body. And so believes to be is really the key thing there. So based on the context of the situation, you can have tissue damage and have no pain. You can have no tissue damage and have a lot of pain. So like, sorry, am I going too fast? No, I'm just oh. like, my mind is always blown during this. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. I love yeah. this stuff. So, We're about to nerd out. Yeah. 
Yeah, so like on one end of the spectrum, so people with phantom limb syndrome where they literally are missing an arm, they can feel severe pain in a hand that doesn't exist, right? And there's no there's no signaling coming from the tissues because there's no tissues, but the context of the situation, their brain has become confused and it decides that it, there's a threat to these tissues that don't exist, and so you feel that emotion of pain in order to make you deal with it. Um, on the other, other end of the spectrum, you hear about people like getting shot or like breaking a bone and stuff like that. They don't realize it until hours later when things have calmed down a little bit. And it's because their brain is prioritizing things and it has decided that at that time that there's no threat or that that threat is not the priority. And so it's going to make you deal with other threats first before it creates pain to make you protect yourself. So, is that... Man, yeah. Deep, deep breath. breath. Okay, so there is an analogy that you use a lot when you're explaining this to patients. Mm -hmm. It has to do with some guy like screaming at you. There's a knife in your like leg. Yeah, so yeah, kind of like the so like guy walks up to you, sticks a knife in your leg. So you don't feel pain in your leg. You get those no susceptive signals coming up to your brain, and then all that other contextual stuff happens. All the other sensory input happens um, based on your past experiences, like watching TV. You know, it's bad to have a knife stuck in your leg. Your future expectations are this or that. This is bad. I'm gonna you know, this is going to hurt, all that yeah. kind of stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you, like, look down, you see the knife in your leg, you hear the guy yell, haha, I stuck a knife in your leg, all this stuff comes together, and then that results in your brain deciding there is a threat to the tissue, I'm going to create pain to make you deal with this threat, and so, like, go to the hospital, get the knife taken out of your leg, doctor sews you up, every time you put stress through those tissues, your brain is still going to decide, based on all that context stuff, that there is still a threat to your leg, so to create pain so that you don't overstress those tissues, and it allows it to heal up. Eventually, like, heals up, the doctor tells you your leg is fine, takes the stitches out, you have a scar. Now you can, like, put weight on your leg, and based on all those contextual clues, your brain decides, okay, there's no more threat, I'm not going to create pain anymore so that you don't need to limp anymore, right? Um, the problem is that, just like studying for a test, the more you read the material, the better you get at understanding that material, right? It's this, these, like, neurons become easier to discharge, your brain gets better and better at creating these patterns. The more you're in pain, the better you get at being in pain. So you kind of start to sensitize to specific things. Your nervous system starts paying attention to things a little bit too much sometimes. Um, and there's this threshold for, like, if tissue damage is way, way up in the sky, like, this is the amount of stress it takes to create tissue damage, then we want to experience pain right below that. We want to be able to live our lives completely pain-free right up to the point where we get to that almost tissue damage point, then we experience pain. And that's that's pain working as a correct threat response as a protective response but what will happen when you're in pain a lot is that threshold for where you experience pain begins to drop down and then all of a sudden all these activities that aren't necessarily going to damage your tissue and aren't like intellectually we can say this isn't a threat mm -hmm. um your brain decides they are a threat based on the context and all that kind of stuff because it's become too sensitive to it and in that case pain is not a good protective response it's just decreasing quality of life mm -hmm. um and a really important thing here especially for you know, general athletes and all that kind of stuff is that pain only changes when, with a nervous system change, right? Pain is a nervous system thing. So you can change anything about your tissues. And if nervous system change doesn't happen with that, you don't experience pain or you don't reduce pain. So what do you mean by that? Oh, so, there's so many layers to unpack here. Go yeah. ahead. So I'll hop in in a minute. Just yeah. because, just because you see something on like an MRI or like you you see something anatomically wrong so like a bulging disc or something like that doesn't necessarily so you might have back pain go and get an mri you have a bulging disc the bulging disc may not be causing your pain and it probably isn't like most pain-free people over a certain age have bulging discs um or other kind of degenerative spinal stuff that was an air quotes. that was quotes yeah yeah, yeah don't that's like important that but um and then the other thing is that you can have 
like you could have an actual injury and it can completely heal up. You can be totally fine. So you see this a lot in like post-surgical people, um, but you can have lasting pain beyond that. And they think like, oh, I still have pain. This didn't heal. Like I'm still kind of weak or like, you know, my, I'm, I'm prone, more prone to injury than I would have been otherwise because it's still painful. That's just your nervous system being more sensitive to things than it should be a lot of the time. And so the pain isn't perfectly well correlated with tissue damage, especially the longer you are in pain, I guess. So yeah, that's so. where like chronic pain comes in. Yeah. So like another good analogy, I don't, you might have watched this in school, but we watched this TED Talk. It was this guy, I think he was like Australian. So Warmer Mosley? So where he gets bit that, by the snake. So, oh, so, yeah. so basically he's like walking it. and he's really funny too. Yeah. So it helps. He does it way better. Yeah. But for the analogy, he's like walking in the jungle and he gets bit by a snake and he barely feels it. And he goes into like shock and is in the ICU and has to have like poison removed and all these things. It's like a super traumatic experience, but it wasn't that painful. And then like six months later, he's walking and gets scratched by a twig in mm -hmm. the same place and goes into like severe pain. And it's like the same. His body yeah. is feeling all those things that Nate just said so gracefully that I will not attempt yeah. to say <laughs> that like all of those contextual yeah, like clues his, and everything yeah. are firing and his brain is saying like, this is painful. This caused all this trauma to your body. You need to feel pain. Yeah. Um, this is a, the second time it was a severe threat. And the first time, like he'd been scratched by thorns and stuff. He thought it, it was just another thorn scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't experience that pain because it wasn't threatening until like it was a super poisonous snake and he almost died. And then because he almost died, his nervous system sensitized to that stimulus. And then the next time he got, he did actually get scratched by a thorn. It, his nervous system interpreted it as a snake bite, you're going to die. And he was in the so, same context mm -hmm. and everything. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like from a personal standpoint, so I like tore my ACL and ACL meniscus three plus years ago. Like, it is fully healed. I have rehabbed it. Like, there is no tissue damage. And to this day, when I squat really heavy, mm. my right knee will hurt. But there's nothing wrong with my knee. I know for a fact four years later, there's no tissue damage there. And, like, usually the more I, like, warm into it, it doesn't hurt halfway through. It's, like, definitely my nervous system being, like, for a year of your life, you guarded yeah. this knee because it would have been painful. So I'll still feel that. That's where I think, like, educating on that is really important but that's uh, so I wanted to segue so I'm, I'm a physical therapist Canada's PT student how do you I think it's for us we understand that when we say those things we're not just saying like it's all in your head yeah. but for a patient sometimes who's not educated and doesn't understand kind of the science behind that mm -hmm. it sounds like you're saying to them you're making up this pain yeah so like how do you kind of tackle that because I feel like that's a really fine line to walk of like so that's why I kind of like the example of like a guy sticking a knife in your because that's a really, really clear it's example. This happening. is actual tissue damage. This is how the pain process happens, and this is how it can become something that's not necessarily tissue damage equaling pain, right? So you give a really clear example of, like, how the pain cycle kind of works, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and then saying, like, pain, all pain, all pain is in your head, right? And just having people acknowledge that. And it's not saying it's made up. Like, it's still real even though it's in your head. But it's, it's, a, it's like saying happiness isn't real or, like, sadness isn't Exactly. Like, why is it's yeah. all in your head such a negative statement? Yeah. Because if it wasn't in your head, it wouldn't happen because mm -hmm. that's where your brain is. That's where everything happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, it's kind of taking away that, like, just because it's in your head doesn't mean you necessarily fully control those processes that are happening, right? Like, you breathe without thinking about it most of the time until I just said that. And now we're all breathing <laughs> consciously. Yeah. I hate that. Blinking, like, all these, all these automatic processes happen in your body 
controlled by what's happening in your head. Yeah, and you I, don't try, have much input I tend to say it comes so. from your brain because I feel like mm-hmm. saying it comes from your brain sounds better than it's all in your head. Yeah. Or are you saying Just like it's, it's a yeah. nervous system change? It's a, I, yeah, it's That's a nervous good. system change. Yeah. yeah. So then, you can have like spinal cord changes and stuff too. So when it does transfer over into chronic pain, and for those that don't know, acute means it happened recently, mm-hmm. and chronic means it's been for six months at least. Yeah, six. There's so many different definitions yeah. of chronic, but basically you've been in pain for a significant amount of time. So when it does get into chronic pain, I see patients like this a lot, especially with athletes who are kind of beating up on their body a lot and are in pain in general, or like soreness, pain, whatever. Um, they'll get to the point where like. No matter what they're doing, they feel it. And then it gets better or worse. Like, we can notice as PTs being, like, unbiased based on, like, their circumstances. So I'll have patients whose pain gets better based on, like, their life being better or worse. Or, like, if they had a really good competition or workout, they didn't feel the pain. Like, I'll have that all the time. Like, I don't feel it while I'm in class. It's only when I come home. Yeah. Or, like, so, and it's, like, obviously, if you had severe issues, you would probably feel it while you're – so, like, how do you kind of tackle that? So that's just that – that's kind of why I include like, you know, stress can literally increase this too. And I kind of, I've started using this, an, a new analogy. Oh, here we go. Okay. We both have so many. I love yeah, this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I stole this from something. something I'm playing devil's advocate asking yeah. you all these questions. But. Yeah. Um, but basically like you have a glass that you're filling up with water, right? You have both. You've just yeah. literally yeah. filled yeah. it for us. Yeah. yeah, go for it. Yeah. So like you fill it up a little bit with tissue, with no susceptive signals from tissue damage, right? You fill it up a little bit with. A specific movement that you do that you're kind of sensitive to and like maybe the glass isn't overflowing yet you're not having pain and then you fill it up a little bit more with like hey i had a really bad day at work or like hey Stress. my dog died you know something like oh. that and now and it can be something that's not specific yeah sorry mm. <laughs> um it can be something that's not specific to like the actual tissue stuff or like your body in general but just general life stress and that fills the glass up enough so now the water overflows and you're having pain if you take any of those three things out the glass isn't overflowing anymore so Stress by itself can add it, and there's all these other factors. Anything that can influence any other emotion can influence pain, too. So, like, anything that would make you happier or more sad or, like, more enjoy, I don't know, other emotions. Um, That's it. Happy, <laughs> yeah, sad. Happy, sad is really my whole This spectrum. is That's like it's like Happy, <laughs> yeah. sad. Yeah, so, happy, sad, pain. There's another kind of layer of facet of this that I want to talk about. Um with regards to like manual therapy. So manual therapy Ooh, for physical therapists yes. <laughs> is anything hands-on, which could include massage, soft tissue, dry needling, scraping, mm-hmm. e-stim, so on. So mm-hmm. ice, heat, I guess, is some sort of manual. Yeah, I think it counts. Yeah. Not so manual. in school, we learn a ton of manual. As Hannah knows currently, as I, we both know because we've been in school, they put a huge, huge emphasis on manual. All the Your first year, huge manual. Go to their classes you see are all manual always mm-hmm. like that they advertise. So, personally, I <laughs> try not to use a lot of manual. I do dry needle. I think that there's no problem using manual. I think it's the explanation that goes along mm-hmm. with it. I make sure that all my patients know that this is not creating any long-lasting changes, that you are affecting the nervous system, not the actual tissue. Like, with dry needling, we learned a lot that we're, like, breaking up scar tissue oh my gosh, or people would say changing that. range of motion. Yeah. Cringe. And we're not. Yeah. I always say that, you know, like you said, if you've been in pain for a long time, there's a threat response. This is like saying this muscle can contract, this muscle can move. It's not in pain. Make it's, it normal again. Yeah, and we say, like, there's only so many signals. There's a gate. There's only so many signals that can go through the gate at once if we can send a non-painful one, break up that cycle, and then we go reinforce it with load. As you know, the only as thing we know, that makes the change. only thing that makes change is loading. 
I don't know if everyone knows that, but that yeah. is my staple. I say yeah. literally Tissue everything. Yeah. Everything we do as physical therapists is hypothetical besides loading. Really like, advocating for our profession here. Really, yeah. I do like I do think so. Like everything is like a theory besides we know like if you load it, it will get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, so like as far as like what is your opinion on manual therapy, how you what you do with patients, how you preach that? Go ahead. Yeah. So <laughs> just like throwing it out there at the beginning, like my preferred way of doing manual therapy is probably dry needling. Um, it's not because I think it's special compared to anything else, right? So just like you said, dry needling, foam rolling, massage, lacrosse ball, whatever, heat, ice, all that kind of stuff is not changing anything tissue-wise. It's changing something in the way your nervous system is viewing what's going on, and then it's changing its input to the muscles based on that kind of perceptual change. So like if you have a really painful spot, so and, and I've seen it, so just as a an example that I've seen work really, really well for that it probably shouldn't have is something like really bad knee arthritis where someone was like told, hey, you're going to have to have... You've got bone on bone. Yeah, bone <laughs> on bone. You're going to need a knee replacement. Um, don't don't walk until you like, get a knee oh, replacement. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not going to cause me any fear or pain Yeah, exactly. All. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah, here we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like what happens in that situation is something happened to create a threat response. So you might have arthritis, whatever. It doesn't really matter all that much. But your nervous system sensitized the area. Might be, might have been a little local inflammation. Kind of got that nociceptive sig- those nociceptive signals going. Um, might have been the doctor telling you you have bone on bone, and you sensitize the knee, whatever. But your quadriceps clench up, your hamstrings clench up, all the muscles around your knee clench up a little bit in this protective muscle tone response as a result of your nervous system telling them to do that. So your nervous system is trying to protect what it perceives to be a threat, and then you go. So what you can do is go in with any sort of manual, whatever massage dry needling, whatever. I like dry needling because it seems to work better for most people, but you put some needles in, um, you kind of create a twitch response or you run the electricity through the needles, makes it be like a heartbeat and it changes your nervous system's perception of what's going on in the area. And it changes its input to the muscles in the area to tell them to act more normal, kind of bring them more back to that baseline. Um, and then the pain decreases because you're no longer experiencing that threat response. But we changed nothing about the knee, right? We didn't change exactly. local tissue quality. I we didn't add a meniscus. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Break like up still, scar tissue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're still bone on bone, all that kind of stuff. But basically, if we can make your nervous system not believe there's a threat in the area, then you won't experience pain and the muscles can go back to acting normally. And that's where manual therapy should probably be used is to like desensitize and create a temporary change where it's not painful and then you can reinforce it with exercise and exercise is always what creates the long-term change. So I'm going to have to quote temporary. Um, Dr. Quote? Wes Hendricks in mm-hmm. here and Is he that? says that manual therapy <laughs> would be the equivalent and he doesn't say all manual therapy mm-hmm. but doing that is the equivalent of getting like kicked in the balls. Because if your shoulder hurts and you get kicked in the balls, you're going to forget your shoulder hurt. Oh, and it's my cut, God. Like, of course. A little bit crass. But it is the yeah. same idea. Like, you're just sending a different signal in to say, like, yeah. stop freaking out about this. Like, let's make this feel shirt. better so yeah. then we can load yeah. it and actually fix things. But, like, sometimes you have to do that initial part of dry needling or manual therapy mm-hmm. to get them to the For point sure. where they can exercise and do these things without pain. Yeah, but and I you need the, something to break that cycle at some point. And not break scar a, tissue, no, no, break no. up the cycle. Yeah, break up that pain, pain response. <laughs> mm-hmm. And dry needling seems to be a really effective way for most people to do that. Although there are people like makes them a little bit more painful or like some people would rather get like fingers or like massage or something like that. And it, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Whatever, Everybody uh, has different preferences, you know. Some people yeah. like needles, some people like fingers, yeah, some just, people like massage. Uh, we just looked at each on. other. We're all twelve. 
No, but I... <laughs> no, but honestly, no, I think, especially the point of all of that is, like, I think a lot of times as physical therapists, we don't pay attention to the words we use. And the verbiage matters so much, especially when we're talking about pain science. Like, I personally will never ultrasound anyone. If you're going to do it, I hope that you explain that what you're doing is, again, creating some sort of nervous system response, not changing anything or heating up the air, whatever you want to say. Yeah, exactly. But I think, like, yeah, any type of hands-on modality, you need to make sure the patient understands and believes that that's not what's causing their change. Because if they become dependent on yep. it, it fuels the pain cycle science. Pain science cycle. See, and that's wow. what I got so frustrated with, like, coming here after mm-hmm. my first year of PT school, which is very much, like, all this manual that, like, they tell us you are changing the tissue and, like, you are adding range of motion and, like, mm-hmm. you should do this glide if you want this mo- motion. And, like, it's not all BS, but it's also, like, my hands are not strong enough to move your vertebrae. Like, my hands are not yeah. strong enough to create space in your joint. It's just, like, like you said, like, your hips like posterior glides. Like, your brain likes it, mm-hmm. so it's going to make everything feel better. Yeah. And I just got so, like, cryptic about it. I was like, so yeah. everything I learned is, like, BS. Yeah. And, like, maybe, so, you know, you do a long axis distraction on the hip. You can, maybe you can, like, give a little bit of extra room in the hip joint while you're pulling on it. When you let go, it goes back to how it was. You're not yeah. creating a permanent especially once they stand up, there's like a lot of force when a muscle contracts going through each joint. And so it's, you know, you're not changing anything that you could see on an image or like an actual tissue change at all. You're just doing something that your nervous system likes and that changes what your nervous system is telling the muscles in the area to do and what it believes is happening in the area. And then you're in less pain. I think the most infamous thing is the SI joint or like Mm -hmm. my hips are out of line and like you do this muscle energy technique and your hips are back in line. Yeah. It's so funny because I was, we were, I was actually talking about METs. I don't know the who literally last week and where I was like, I'm sure I could do an MET, but I could also just deadlift and it'd probably have the same effect on my hamstring. Like I was like, I think sometimes we get so caught up in like the latest and greatest technique or whatever. Like if you're trying to strengthen the hamstring, do a deadlift. Like, if yeah. you're trying, like, it's just make it simple. I think, like, we go to all these, like, fancy words and fancy techniques, and, like, you just need to strengthen what you need to strengthen and position like, what you need to position, whatever. But also, like, yeah, I remember when I was in school and we learned CPAs and UPAs, like, for those that don't know, just, like, mobilizations to the back, and you're literally, like, pressing on parts of the spine. And I remember being, like, I have absolutely no idea if I'm doing this right. I'm just arbitrarily pressing at some range of, what they tell you, like, a number three yeah, is pressing this hard, like yeah. a great four. Like it's also and I remember like being skeptical, yeah. but being like, well, it's a professor who's telling me this, so they obviously know more than me. But then that skepticism carried over to like when I was in a CrossFit gym and when I was in the sound cash base, and I was like, wow, there's people yeah. that were also skeptical and created a whole career out of it. Like Turns me, out it probably doesn't matter if you're doing it right. You're just exactly. mushing on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably still going to feel good. Like yeah. me resisting hip flexion is not going to move your pelvis. And if it does, like, I'm either freakishly strong or, like, we have a problem. Yeah, and there's, like, lots of research to it doesn't move that the SI joint doesn't even move more yeah, than, like, like, a few degrees. Millimeters. Yeah. But as soon as you tell someone, like, your hips are out of line, they go their whole life and they're like, yep. well, I, my, mm-hmm. like, I have bad hips. Like, my hips are yeah. out of alignment. I'm I like, feel like this told is a great you guys? Yeah. into the story that we're going to get in. Here we go. <sighs> so, right. I've been waiting for the right podcast to share this Waiting story. for the right time. You probably wondered my ER, my ER visit story because oh, yeah. I feel like the world needs to know this and I feel like it plays into pain science. So I'm not saying that being educated as a physical therapist, we're immune to pain science. It happens to all of us, but I think we're more 
more understanding that that could potentially be affecting our pain and don't get like fear avoidance and those things. But anyways, so a couple weeks ago, I had a high fever and a very high fever. It got up to like 105, I think 104 point something. And I had pretty bad back pain, which ended up being unrelated, but they wanted, the doctor wanted me to go into the ER to check for any type of spinal infection to rule out. Good idea. So I go into the ER. Um, it was quite the experience. I waited seven <laughs> hours for my MRI. They also thought I was a pediatric patient. And that was amazing. After my, <laughs> after my MRI, they wheeled me back to the PEDS ER. And I was, they were like, you must be right on the edge, like 15 to 18. I was like, you can add 10 years to that. That Anyways, was like the best 10 to 20 texts. I know. <laughs> I was like, so angry. They rolled I was me into the pediatric waiting room. <laughs> I was like, yeah. anyways, the point of the story. So I have an MRI of my back. There's nothing wrong with my back. They found a very mild disc bulge in L4, L5, which is very common. Who knows how long that's been there. Yeah, and they even even the doctor said, like, you know, it wouldn't even be concerning. Like, it's so mild, whatever. And it wasn't, like, on the distribution of what... Anyways, so... She then tells me, after we discuss how this is not anything and not anything not to be concerned right about, and she knows I'm a physical therapist, we have had this whole conversation. She's Does she like, know you're a CrossFitter at this point? Yeah, so I work with a functional med doctor okay. online, and he had sent all my charts over, and I guess, and it had said I did CrossFit. Yeah. Um, so she was like, this whole uh, CrossFit thing, you just need to stop doing it. So if you know me, then you know I'm pretty sassy. I had to just rein it in because I was not about to be in the Do doing clinical combo. reasoning in the hallway. Just of, send her this podcast. Uh, oh, I should. Yeah. I should send. She probably listened to it. Right? Mm. <laughs> so anyway, so I said okay, yeah, and she's like, yeah, you know, I had a bulging disc and had some back issues. And I went the surgical route, but you're very young and very healthy, so you don't need to do that yet. And I said, oh, okay. yet, yeah, I'm just like letting her have her moment. And so she was like, so this is what we're going to do. She was like, I think that your core is just really weak, which if you know me, you know, I don't even believe that's a thing. Like if you can stand up and sit down, your core is probably functioning fine. Also, floppy. <laughs> pretty sure like deadlifting 2.5 times body weight, my core is just fine. No, um, <laughs> no you need to do crunches. <laughs> so yeah. she told me that Blank. she was like, your core is probably weak. I was like, oh, okay. Um, did you show show her your abs? Did you Should lift up your shirt? Her. No, I was just these like, are weak. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. My core's probably weak. So then she said that I should. Um, this goes on, that this whole heavy lifting thing probably wasn't wasn't good for me, and that that's how people got hurt. Anyways, so she was like, you should stop axial. And for those that don't know, axial is anything in loading of your spine, basically axial or overhead loading for a year, which was just a very arbitrary time frame. And her reasoning. Yeah was that it takes time for nerves to calm down. A year. So, anyways, because my nerve was probably inflamed, that's what was probably going on and why. Inflamed. Yes. Okay, and then also she said, and then even though, like, my pain was not where my bulging disc, like, distribution was, she tried to explain that that could still just cause pain anyway. It was very arbitrary. And then she also told me that to no longer load my back unless I was laying on my back, and she gave, she recommend that I join Foundation Fit, which is an online app exercises you can do in home. Um, she then gave me a sheet of exercises, which she proceeded to explain to me for my core, including like crunches, cat cows. Um, but there was, and finally I was like, yeah, I'm a physical therapist. I really know what these are. But she also said like, you know, I would be fine with you like moving your arms and putting dumbbells in your arms if you were laying on your back. But besides that, I would just avoid it. How do you do a deadlift laying on your back? <laughs> so I said, okay, all this. And she printed out pictures of these exercises. How many exercises did she give you? It was like two pages worth. I don't know. 
whatever for yeah. the next year. Um, That's all you can do? But with dumbbells in your hands. You know, like, I just basically will put my groceries away or sit down yeah. to the toilet or, like, or whatever. You carry know, a like, backpack. Yeah. Just, let's just not do any of that. So I just kept saying, okay, okay. And then this was her series of events. She at no point recommended physical therapy, even though she knew my profession. She was like, if it continues to get bad, we can try a cortisone shot or an epidural. And if that doesn't work, then we can continue on the surgery. Then we can consider the surgical route. Given that I don't oh have gosh. chronic back pain, it was just back pain with a fever. It's not like I've had back pain for a long, anything, right? So I was like, okay, just could you take this IV out that's been in here for seven hours and just let me go? <laughs> not IV, whatever, the blood draw. So we left, and I was very upset. But my the point of all this was that if I didn't know what I know and I was afraid that I had back pain and all this, had she said that to me, I probably would have been like, my back is going to break it's if scary. I don't load it. Like, like, they're literally telling me not to load for a year. That must be serious. I have a bulging disc. Like, that's just – and it's like, I can laugh it off and then talk about it on a podcast – but your average patient who's not educated on these things is going to have that narrative for yeah. the rest of the, their year, their life. They have a broken back that needs fixing. And if we kind of take that back around to like, you know, pain is a nervous system thing, right? Like fear is one of the biggest things that will cause chronic pain. Fear of movement, fear of like being fragile, all that kind of stuff. There's, yeah, I mean, there's papers, yeah. there's a lot of research on kinesiophobia, which mm-hmm. is the fear of movement. And like, I mean, that would have been really bad for you. And just kind of a little segue, like... Just as a culture in general, like, we're really kinesiophobic. So we, everyone is told, like, lift with your legs, not your back. That's, first off, that's not possible. Um, <laughs> Let me just take my back out real yeah, quick. But like, Chop it off. Yep. Fine. Yeah, so everyone does all these, like, super awkward, like, up on their toes, knees way forward squats, which, again, is fine. But, like, that's not how you pick things up from the floor if you want to effectively pick things up from the floor. And, like, everyone's told, don't round your back, you're going to herniate a disc. Well, guess what? If you don't round your back, your discs are going to get weak in that position. You're going to herniate a disc. If Jefferson you, curls. Yeah, that's where I'm going. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, if everybody in the world did Jefferson curls, it would be a better place. Everybody or, like, don't let fine. your knees go past your toes. Yeah, like, and it's all, you loading appropriately, your body will adapt to anything. You can do all sorts of weird, crazy stuff with your body, and if you load it appropriately and you progress it appropriately and you give it time to adapt, you can get into pretty much any position. Your lumbar spine is made to round, like, the way the facet joints are lined up anatomically, you have generally more bending in your lumbar spine than almost anywhere else in your spine except some spots in your cervical spine. Otherwise, like, you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's not it's not made to not be used. If you if you can move into a certain position, you should strengthen that position so you don't hurt yourself in it. And that's your tissues respond to stress by getting stronger as long as you don't overwhelm their ability to adapt. And like that's basically what she told you not to do any of, which eventually you're gonna like you lay on your back doing some dumbbell stuff. First time you go to pick up your laundry basket, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to actually injure yourself. Yeah, but I took her advice real to heart and yeah, no. did my core exercise. Oh, I know. Yeah, I got that no video. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Don't go overhead. Oh, no. Oh, no. Bring it back down. But, yeah, I think that that's really – I mean, that was at MUSC, which is a prestigious hospital. Like, it's a very good, like, well-known – I'm not in, like, a – like, that's, like, a doctor telling yeah. me that. So, it's just really frustrating that we're seeing patients that are being told these narratives and we're trying to break them – so if you're listening to this, find healthcare providers that don't tell you to stop doing things. Like, like know that's that you're, not the answer. your body is adaptable and resilient and not broken. And I think that's why we have like so much power as PTs, especially with this like new age stuff kind of coming in because we're, like, we're learning these things and we are educated and we can tell our patients these powerful things that will like change their lives pretty much. Like if you can't lift something off the floor for 10 years because you're, you've been so afraid of your disc or whatever – 
and then Dr. Nathan Jones or Dr. Mason Howie is like, well, actually, and then you go in there and you do a deadlift and you're like, oh my yeah. God, you're right. It's like life changing. Literally. <laughs> you can finally pick up your groceries. Yeah. Just permission to move. That's yes. Most like, of what we do. Oh, and that's why like the words we use matter. It's like if you're fearful of movement and then you don't move, like whenever you do move, it's probably going to be crappy movement and then it's going to hurt. I had a similar experience when I had some, I had some wrist pain um, and I had already been to Mesa for PT. I was like, okay, well I just need a referral so that my insurance pays for it because you can still get like your, I don't know what my account is. Yeah. Yeah. To pay for it. And so I go to MUSC to get my PT referral and I'm just like, Oh yeah, like I've had some wrist pain. Like here's where it is. Like here's what makes it hurt. And like, because I didn't have an exact location, I was like, well, it hurts sometimes doing this. Like it hurts sometimes doing this. Like I just need to go to PT. Like I'm a PT student. I just need a referral. And he's like, well, I can't give you a referral until I know exactly what it is and like why it's happening. He saw my calluses and he was like, you lift. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, bad word. Don't talk about it. I was like, I don't want to talk about CrossFit. And like, he made me feel bad for not knowing it. Like sometimes it's like ulnar. Sometimes it's radial. Sometimes it's like, just which that's like pretty much how pain is. Pain isn't like very rarely. So like it hurts right here all the time. Like I was like, well, it happens like when I do power cleans or like a lot of hang cleans or like overhead stuff. And he was like, well, you just need to stop lifting. And I was like, what? Nobody's ever done that in the history of ever. Like, <laughs> like stop lifting no with my wrist? Yeah. yeah. No, but there is a lot of people that will, like, just like, all right, I just have to stop. Then. I was like, like just give uh, me the referral. No, I've already, at this point, I had already been to PT, and it had already been fixed like, one yeah. time. I was just trying to get it paid for. Like, how messed yeah. up is that? Yeah. Welcome to our healthcare system. Don't worry, guys. My wrist is okay. Mace's back is okay. We've. She's been doing axial loading, going overhead, and it's okay. All the Jefferson girls. Exactly. But no, like I did see a patient who had hurt her elbow, and you know, sometimes they'll say like, don't lift more than 10 pounds, which is appropriate like in certain situations for a limited time frame, and she just was never did generally, and she didn't lift for a year, had not lifted her arm overhead, had not lifted, basically given herself a case of somewhat of a frozen shoulder by like self-induced, because she just hadn't moved. And she was genuinely, like, shaking when we got her arm overhead. Like, her whole body was shaking because she was afraid of that movement. And that's, like, someone told her that, and she believed it. Someone she should have trusted because it was a medical professional. And I think that hurt her so much. I had this adorable lady at, when I worked at Atlas Physical Therapy. She was just like giant glasses and made her eyes look huge. (laughs) She was awesome. Um, If you're listening. (laughs) But she had, like... I think it was an L4, L5 fusion like eight years ago. And the doctor told her, all right, don't bend at your spine. And then he forgot to tell her she could bend at some point. Oh, and she didn't God. bend her back for eight years and like came what in with low do? back pain. She would How do a weird she... like up on her toes squat to pick up everything. or she And she wouldn't pick anything up over five pounds. She was told not to lift her. So for eight years, like this was her life. She had other people to pick stuff up for her, like do her weird little squat down and drop pounds oh. on the floor, like super awkward, um, all that kind of stuff. And it was like, he just forgot to tell her, but she really stuck to it for eight years. She didn't bend forward at her waist. Compliance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we like got her deadlifting and stuff, but it was a, like, she was terrified yeah. the whole time, um, but it was totally fine. Like, you know, she, and I think like, I was literally talking about this morning with a patient. He, he has back pain and he's like, when my back hurts, like it changes my whole outlook on life. So it goes people, if you're like having pain or fear of picking something up, 
your whole quality of life reduces. Like, it changes your mentality to everything. Like, I know if I don't work out or if I don't move, if I don't sweat, I'm miserable, like, in general, mm-hmm. with everything, with work, with relationships. So, like, I think it just carries over so much. I think, like, the old, like we all have the response of when we have pain of, like, oh, gosh, like, something's wrong. But then when you're, like, when you know what's actually happening, you're, like, it's going to be okay. Like, my hamstring started hurting the other day, and I was, like, catastrophic. Like, I won't be <laughs> able to PR my clean. Like, I really want to finish this barbell class. Like, walked out of the room pissed, and I just called Mesa, and she's, like, you know, it's going to be fine. Like, I was, like, but More I want to PR like, my clean. Days, well, exactly. That's, that's like, the point of pain, right? It's supposed to do that. Like, that's the whole point is it's it's a really strong warning system to make us not hurt ourselves. So. But it's really good at that. But, like, yeah, when you get an understanding of it, yeah, yeah, then yeah. you can kind of work around it and through it a little bit. So let's say a patient comes in to see you who's had chronic back pain. They've been told they have a bad back or they think they have a bad back and they haven't. Like, what is your first step? So we talk for a long time, um, kind of get their history, like what they want to get back to, what's, what hurts them. We do a thorough physical exam and the point of the physical, physical exam is not necessarily to like find out, is this a disc or is this whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. it's to rule out big red flags. So like make sure they don't have cancer, make sure it's not like an infection or like, yeah, like something, yeah, like I'm not going to make your legs fall off, you know, that kind of thing. So rule out the really big red flags that physical therapists cannot treat. And then it's just movement at that point. It's finding an appropriate load and appropriate movements that aren't painful, but that can desensitize their nervous system and make them stronger. And it's almost always, if it's back pain, it's almost always Jefferson curls first. Because I'm going to make everybody around there I know every single, still every time. They listen to Jefferson curls. But I mean, once they they know that they can move their back, like a lot of times their pain is gone. Yeah, it's like a few visits and they're like, holy crap, I'm fine. And I can do this again. You know, and even like getting stronger is always good, right? Like making muscles bigger is, is good, but that's not necessarily what fixes it. It's the act of doing these things in a non-threatening it's manner. That's great like, exposure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait, I have one last question in this okay. bit fire. Oh gosh. Um, I feel like I have here? more questions. I, know, I don't know. What do we, I don't know. We could just go on for years. Yeah, I know. We could. Um, we can, we so, can have a part two. I know how I, I would answer this. I want to hear how you would answer this. All the time I get people with back pain and their question is, do you think it's a disc or do you think it's more than muscular? Like, what if it's not just muscles? Which is really funny because, I mean, it doesn't really matter for us. Like, we know that either way it's fixable, right? But, like, how do you approach that? Because I think there's, like, the word disc is very fearful for people. Yeah. So I really like to go through, you guys have seen a little anatomy app I use, mm-hmm. um, Central Anatomy 5, it's awesome. So like I like to show Shout them out. physically, yeah. Check that too. I like to show them physically like we checked this part of your body out, we checked this out, like none of these things really fits the pattern of these symptoms or it does, that kind of thing. And then we take a step back and we say, and I say like, I like to use those statistics of like, what is it? I always forget them, but a huge proportion of pain-free people have, Mm -hmm. if you took an MRI of 100 people that are pain-free, like 60 of them are going to have a bulging disc over the age of 40 or something like that. That's probably wrong, so don't quote me on that. There is a statistic that 70, Mm. it's 78% of herniated discs heal themselves. Yep, yeah, and the worse the herniation, the better it heals because inflammation is a natural part of the healing process. Amazing. So the bigger it is, the better it heals. It's like three, four, 78%. Well, and the percent of people that have like rotator cuff tears, like label tears, or like things like that. Yeah, Yeah, so we do that whole pain science spiel again, and then we talk about how there's a difference between tissue damage and pain and disability, or tissue abnormalities and pain and disability, and then how we don't necessarily need to change what the tissue is doing in order to make them functional and fine again, basically. And sometimes it's good to like use examples of people and past patients. I use myself all the time. Yeah, exactly. 
hurt myself just enough. Just, like, way relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Not like the ER doctor relatable, oh. but... And, like, I would like to say that I don't think that these doctors have malintent, no, but I do no, think no. that there's some, like, new education that's out there that... I don't know when this whole pain science stuff started, but mm. I feel like it's pretty recent. But I do yeah. think if you're in healthcare, you take on the responsibility that you yeah. are going to be aware of what you're saying to patients. And words not, matter words so matter, much. And, like, keeping, staying educated and stuff. Like, I would never, like, those statements are super bold. If you're going to make a super bold statement, you should be highly educated before you say something. Otherwise, just don't, don't give a recommendation <laughs> yeah. on it. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know a huge proportion of like healthcare is based on like chronic diseases and metabolic disease mm-hmm. and diabetes, all that kind of stuff, like things that physicians need to treat. But if you're going to talk about like musculoskeletal care, you need to be educated on that because and otherwise you're going to people. Like it's yeah. totally yeah. PT. There's yeah. things that I don't understand or patients I see that I don't feel comfortable enough like yeah. telling yeah. them I don't know how long this is going to take to heal. Let me find out and get back to you. Let me refer you to someone who's better. Like women's health patients, I, I'm not going to treat yeah. them. I'm probably going to refer them. Like. All the floor is a mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, to you. Not to everyone, but to us. (laughs) Get PT first. So we got to rein it back into about me. Okay, I have some questions. Okay, so as a PT, Uh what do you think is your biggest strength and weakness? Deadlifts. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) What about block press? (laughs) I think I do a really good job of, it's average long Okay, just. Um, Yeah, I do a really good job of like believing patients, I think, and like, being there kind of on that journey with him. And I think I've worked really hard to try and do that um, because when people, people aren't going to like come in and like lie to you about their symptoms necessarily. Like some people might lie about if they did the exercises or not, and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but just when, when someone actually like listens to the patient and is kind of there with them and says, we're going to address all these things. I think that makes a really, really big difference. Um, weaknesses. I am kind of quiet. Don't always do great with the small talk. Um, You're doing great awkward. right now. Yeah. Yeah, this is a jam. Though. I've had a lot of caffeine this morning. <laughs> How much? He's prepped. Like, too much. It's hard when there's cold brew right, right? there. Yeah, Every time I come here. Cold on, I know. Like cold my palms are that. sweaty right now. These weak palms are sweaty. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, but it gets, you know, sometimes it gets a little awkward with like needles in and just both sitting there quiet. <laughs> Just doing your small talk. What's your yeah, strength and weakness yeah. as an athlete? Mm. Uh, CrossFit <laughs> slash strong. Can I say deadlifts again? You can. Okay. And cardio would be anything cardio related is probably my weakness. Running. Really? Also, like shoulder mobility overhead is, is getting better, but it's been like a years long process of you know, running, rowing, biking, skiing. Monostructural. Monostructural. <laughs> anything that lasts for more than five minutes. Hmm. That's kind of funny. I'm not going to go into yeah. that innuendo. I really regret it. <laughs> <laughs> are we going to spit fire? Yeah, fire. sure. All right. So these have to be fast. Okay. Okay. Favorite yeah. breakfast? Uh, eggs. Favorite workout? Deadlifts. Favorite movement? I don't even know what I'm asking. Yeah, I don't know. Workout has to be a lot. Favorite yeah. Lot. I like Fran a lot. Ugh. Least, it's short. You're done. Ugh. Least favorite workout? Uh, Jackie. What's your favorite song or music to work out to? Kate, Going the Distance. Oh. Just gets me going. Hmm. Embarrassing moment in the gym? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so I was putting a circus dumbbell overhead. And, he knew this so quickly. Yeah, yeah, and I like dropped it and was going off the platform, of like the rubber platform uh-huh. at a low country strength, and it was 140 pounds, and I decided, oh, I'm going to try and stop it with my foot, <gasps> so I broke my toe. Oh, <laughs> what's a circus dumbbell? It's like it's the a, balls on the big side. giant dumbbells. Oh, no. Yeah, like it's, it's just a big dumbbell. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, first CrossFit workout. 
Uh, I don't remember. I wish I did. Blacked out. I don't. Yeah. Goal for 2019. Six fifty deadlift. What is it now? Six oh five. Okay. Heck yes. Okay. I think. Wait. Six oh five at what weight? Below one eighty one. Below yes. <laughs> Gotta <laughs> qualify. Under one hundred eighty one pounds. Yeah. What is that percentage? Oh fuck! I don't have that Oh, of, of body weight. Like three point four. He knows for sure. Okay. Okay, that's all I have for Spitfire. But how has so we can take it back to mm-hmm. CrossFit or Strongman? Like, okay. how has that impacted your life, especially as a PT? Mm-hmm. I think pretty much everybody I'm friends with does CrossFit now. Um, cult. Yeah, so that's not even PT. That's just like it's a cult. It, it's a weird cult. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, it's the in regards to as a PT, I think it makes me a lot less afraid of moving in certain ways. So like strongman is all about awkward shapes, weird things. You're like twisting and bending and rounding your back and stuff like that. And I mean, the injury rate's there, but it's not that high if you look at the research. And it's just being okay with doing weird things with your body, like abnormal things with your body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then what about like, as far as your personal life, you said that it, like your friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if, so, oh, let's do the three words. Okay. okay. So if you have to describe how the your your CrossFit community in general or strongman community, like, in three words, if you have to describe it. Um, friendly, supportive, jacked. Yes. 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 Everyone's flexing right now. Oh, my gosh. Always flexing. Love it. All right. I think that's all that we have. Should we tell tell us where we can find you? Oh, yeah. Tell our followers where we can find you and where I, you work. I am at Made to Move on Daniel Island at 885 Island Park Drive, Suisse. Yeah. Oh, wow. It. I don't know our phone number, <laughs> but I know where okay. You can follow yeah. on Instagram, yeah. Facebook, uh, right? Yeah, Made to Move. I'm Nate Jones, 9000 on Instagram. 9000. If you want to see some heavy deadlift. deadlifts. Goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah some really, rounded back. Yes. Heavy deadlifts. Yeah, got those Jefferson curls on there. All right. So this might have to be part one of the pain science series because I feel like there's still a lot more. And I know, I know this so was a lot. And my brain into. is like, ah right now so i'm sure all of our followers feel the same way but if you have any questions please reach out it's a pretty powerful stuff thank you for listening rate us five stars great review and see you in the next